I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Andrew Millen and you're listening to the Celtic Soul podcast. You're all very welcome back to this episode when my guest will be Johnny Vaughan, a Celtic fan based over in the US of A. Johnny left Dublin for Connecticut in 1990 on a soccer scholarship. This episode has been sponsored by Boyne Valley Dry Lining, thanks to Kevin Coleman for his continued support of both the fanzine and now the podcast. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club would like to sponsor the podcast, please get in contact with us at info at celticfanzine.com and as usual, you can contact us through the website or message us on social media. I bumped into a great Celtic man this morning while I was out walking Henrik. Johnny Marin, originally from Glasgow but now living in Drogheda for many years. I hadn't seen Johnny since the Celtic Festival in Thailand in March. It was great to catch up and chat with him again. Johnny is Celtic true and true and we are both missing our regular chats on the way to Glasgow in Dublin Airport and the crack we have in the brazen head after the games when he teams up with his supporters club, the Frank. Hopefully Johnny will be back sooner rather than later and it was great to chat to you today and great to get your feedback on the podcast as well. Thanks very much for listening. Thankfully, Celtic turned up on Sunday at midday and put in a great shift. Mo Elanusi, well, he answered his critics, didn't he? Including former players who were giving him pelters for looking at his phone while not on the pitch. A storm in a teacup. You know, they just feed the media with a load of bollocks. Excuse the language. I was more concerned with him missing the goal chance he had in the game when he blasted the ball over the bar against the Czechs. As I said, he answered his critics with a hat-trick on Sunday and brought the match ball home. Neil Lennon made two changes to the team from that poor performance on Thursday night, with under pressure Shane Duffy dropping out alongside French Eddie. Both players did come off the bench, and Eddie combined with his fellow countryman in Sham, who also came off the bench to make it 4-1. It was disappointing again to concede a goal through sloppy defending. Thankfully Shane Duffy wasn't on the pitch and wasn't the culprit of the media and a section of our own support would have had a canary. Shane heads off now on international duty and normally the manager will only have to worry about the players getting injured but now he has to worry about COVID-19 
We lost four players after the last international break due to this pandemic and the scourge that it is. Let's hope they can all stay injury-free and COVID-free and come back with a full bill of health because only four players from the Celtic squad are not on international duty, which shows that there is strength and depth and it shows that there's a long way and a good fight in us. We're going for 10 in a row still, boys. Keep that faith. Johnny Vaughan is a Celtic fan, a half-decent footballer and now the proprietor of Vaughan's Bar in Connecticut, USA. As a teenager, Johnny was playing around Dublin and realised that he wasn't quite good enough to get a move over to England, but was lucky enough to get a scholarship to America. Here's Johnny's story. Hello, Johnny. You're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. Strange times over here. How has life been for you as a publican with lockdowns, a presidential election and Celtic blowing hot and cold? Hey, thanks, Andrew. Delighted uh, to be on. Um, strange times here in the US, uh, as they are over there, as they are everywhere in the world. Um, I think we're doing okay. There's been a lot of turmoil of late uh, elections. Last week are finally over. A um, bit of turmoil, obviously, at Parkhead the last few weeks. Um, strange times everywhere. So um, I suppose like everybody else, I'm just looking forward to getting back to normal. But uh, yeah, delighted to be on and uh, let's crack on about some good stuff. Before we kick off, obviously you're a Republican. Pubs over here at Level 5 were closed down. Uh, the pubs in Glasgow are closed. What's the story like over there? As you said, I'm in Connecticut, so I'm not sure if everybody would have a good grasp of that. Who'd be, who might be listening in, but we're, we're between New York and Boston, kind of slap bang in the middle. I'm about 100 miles away from the, the two big cities. And I've had the pub down there since uh, shortly after Seville, 03, was when we done the build-out and we opened 2004. So we've been there 16, 17 seasons. Um it's been a good long shift down there. Um, we obviously had no idea what was going to happen with, with COVID when it did. We'd never been closed for any period of time. So, and we're slap bang in the middle of downtown Hartford, which is surrounded by a lot of businesses. Hartford was always known as the insurance capital of the world. Uh, Aetna, Cigna, MetLife, a bunch of insurance companies. They probably employ between 80 and 100,000 people. And the vast majority of them would have been downtown. So, um, and the pub was, was was a heartbeat on the street downtown. It's been there for so long that we've been lucky enough to get a great following. We're beside the Hartford Civic Center, which is only, uh, you know, seven iron down the road. Um, all the big concerts and events were there. We're surrounded by UConn basketball, which would be the closest team to, that we have to a major league team over here we don't have we're one of the few states in, in, in the u.s that doesn't have a major league team in baseball hockey basketball um, or american football so um yukon basketball would be our major league team and we got 22 games from the men and maybe another dozen from the women so that usually started um around this time of the year it usually starts in november and goes through till march and then we had st paddy's day and a huge parade that usually got between 50 and 60,000 people downtown that passed by the back of the pub. So this is our Christmas season that we're going into. But unfortunately, it's all stalled um, now and there's been nothing going on for months. We are open. We opened at the end of September, a little over a month ago. We're not doing lunches. We're doing dinner times only and happy hour. And with the new phase two that kicked in last week, we now have to close uh, half past nine during the week and have the bar and restaurant closed by 10 o'clock. 
So obviously that's another hurdle for us to try and jump over. Tough times, tough times, Johnny, but I'm confident you'll turn it around. We got a bit of good news today over here about a vaccine. So hopefully that within 12 months that that becomes a reality rather than just talk. Well, I, I hope so. I don't see another way out of this until... I, I honestly think it'll be the start of next summer, maybe maybe even late summer next year before we get back on our feet. There's a lot of things that have to happen. And, you know, there's people out there who are working on it, people that are smarter than me and you are trying to find a, a magic bullet for this so we can all kind of get on. I think it's uh, it, it's been a time of reflection for most people that the, the, the things that we took for granted have kind of been taken away for us, the small things of whether it be going outside or going down to your local or meeting your pals for coffee or, you know, my mother does her lion dancing and there's bingo and, you know, for everybody in all sorts of walks of life, it's uh, everything has just stopped. And we, uh, we've kind of had to look around and, and find ways to, to fill up the windows of our day with doing things and, and staying active. And, um, you know, you hear about all this mental fitness. And it's so important because, you know, for, for the older generation, it's important that we kind of go back to the old days of, of, of the community and people checking on them and keeping an eye on them and dropping them off the groceries or their needs or ever because um, who knows what they're going through and who knows what the struggle is. And sometimes the struggle is is in their mind. I think, you know, we've seen it, especially even in footballers lately, that it doesn't matter how much money you have or this, that, and the other you have. It, it, there's a struggle in your mind of, of of staying focused. And once those demons or the snakes get in your head, they're, they're hard to, to shrug off. And it's, it's, become, uh, it's become very disturbing that sometimes people don't think that there's anyone out there for them. And I, you know, and, and the helplines have been great for, for stuff like that. I don't want to get too much into it, but um, I think it's important for people to realise that there is help for them out there and that they're not alone. Um, and we've seen that with Celtic, with, with, with the Grifter. Um, the last year, two people have said, fucking guys, scoring goals, playing for Scotland, sent the forward for Celtic and just couldn't wrap his head around. It seemed what well, was a, an awful hard time for him. Um, I wouldn't have been a huge fan for him, to be honest with you, when he when he signed at first. Um, I didn't think he had the caliber to be not a Celtic player, but more a, a Celtic individual or ambassador. I I, I questioned um, I questioned his humanity, to be honest with you. I, I I didn't like what he stood for. I think over time he's kind of come around and realised that, like with a lot of Celtic players, that it's not a club. It's, uh, it's a cause or an institution or it's a way of life for a lot of people. So, um, I don't know, I, I, there's a certain part of me that feels if you, if you sign for the club, you should be also, like, made watch a video or even, like, a Celtic 101 to realise what it is and that we're not just a club who's playing in Europe or had a great history behind us, but that there's something there more than almost every other club out there in the world. There's something inside. And I think that's lost these days and maybe... Maybe I just harbour the past too much or it's a sense of nostalgia, but I feel that a lot of times some of the players who sign for the club, they've no idea what, what they've signed on for. I think with Griffiths is, you know, he, Griffiths keeps answering all his critics. And it's, it's well documented that he's, he's had problems. But when, when, you know, he's happiest on that pitch and when he's on that pitch, he, he's, he, he's guaranteed goal scorer. And, and you speak about players that are, you know, coming in and maybe not knowing the history of the club and that. Having no fans there is certainly not helping because 
I spoke to Steve Walford on the podcast last week, you know, and Steve's a well-traveled football man, but he said he realized after two days when he arrived in Glasgow that this was not just the rivalry that Arsenal and Spurs had, and he played for both of them. And he said when, when they played Rangers in the first game, you know, the atmosphere in the stadium, he's still his favorite game. The hair stood up in the back of his back of his neck, it stood up in his arms. And I think he realized then, you know, what Celtic was. And we've we've got players have come in, and unfortunately, without the fans there and with the fans outside the stadium, and even when they're driving into Lennox Town, there would be fans there waiting for autographs and that. That has to have an impact on a player when he arrives. And without that, it must be hard. Well, I suppose it's a, it is a sign of the times that sometimes some of these players need more motivation. I mean, for for I feel that the fans have been set, sold a pup uh, over the years. I mean, I, I have grievances with the Celtic board. I understand that there's a there's a split amongst the board and the, the fans and the players to a certain degree, and it becomes much more evident in times when we're going through these rocky periods. I mean. No, no coach is ever questioned when they're winning nine or ten games in a row. We just keep getting on with it, don't we? That's always been the case. Like you know, you never, somebody never gets let go or gets fired or gets gets calls for accountability when they're doing well. Even though I've noticed in the last year or two, for what it's worth, there's there's cracks in the wallpaper, and I can't say I'm the happiest Celtic fan in the world these days. I have to admit that I, I've been disillusioned probably for a year and a half, possibly two years with the caliber of signings, with where the money's been spent, with the motivation amongst the players and just the quality of player that's coming in. And I know people say, well, we're in a, we're in a diddy league and we don't have the money in this stand Europe, but I see just the money being spent, overspent on the wrong players when, for me, a lot of times it's been right under our nose what we needed to do. The, the motivation factor to me should be enough when you pull on the green and white jersey that you're playing for something that was started, you know, 125 years ago. Um, and, and that's enough motivation that, the you know, the club is up there with certain other clubs around the world that aren't just a club. You know, there's all these clubs in England now that have become fashionable the way, you know, Sunderland was for years and then the Ipswich had a spell when there was Irish people. Leeds did. I'm going back 30, 40 years where... Some of these clubs have become fashionable or involved now, but to me, they're just a brand. A lot of times, they're you know, I find them soulless. I don't find that they stand for much the way Celtic do, and you know, the the, the, the divide amongst the, the the fans, the board, and the players right now is you know, the the fans have have done more for the club than the players and the board have, and and that's that just doesn't seem to add up to me. That's not the complete full circle that the fans are always doing things outside of the club and for the community and for shelters and, and raising money and donations and having food drives and stuff. And a lot of times for me that the board don't match the fans ambition. And that to me has been so disappointing in the last few years. Yeah. And we've had a, we've had a couple of disappointing uh, results this season, Johnny, but we bounced back on Sunday and we needed to because the, there's certainly huge pressure on Lennon and the players. And they're probably lucky, maybe, that there hasn't been fans in the stadium some nights because they certainly would have vented their anger towards the players. Yeah, and especially the Spartak game. But we are blowing hot and cold. We still need to back the team. And we, it's easy to support the team when they're winning, you know. But it's not as easy when the results aren't going away. But Celtic will be there a lot longer than 
the players and the board will change. But what doesn't change is the generation of fans. I, I agree, but um, you know, once in a while, I think I mean this this argument, a conversation. Obviously, it's a healthy argument, a conversation, because it's well, we all want the club to do well and we all want the club to do better. But we've also had the same argument. We go back 30, 40 years to, you know, sack the board and when the Kellys were there and Desmond and stuff. So, I mean, there's 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 been cracks in the wallpaper for a long, long time because we were winning and we were doing so well in Europe for a long period of time where we boxed above our weight. But we also had what, you know, what I would call the X factor in our team then where, you know, we had players that could turn the game. Um, we had match winners. We had, obviously, we had Larson, Sutton, Hartson, you know, Nakamura, even McGeady, John Vanegar, uh, Skippy McDonald. We, we had players that had something in their locker that would rise above everything that was going on domestically. Um, we were still able to haul our own. And a lot of times beat some of the top clubs in Europe at Celtic Park. And the fear in the clubs when they came to Celtic Park was was immense. Um, we, we seemed to have that where we could turn around and at any given moment, we could beat anybody at home. Now, one of the questions I always ask when I talk about Celtic or talk to young people or talk to fellas who go to games is that I often ask, like, whose number or whose name are you putting on the back of your jersey? Because... That, to me, was always a pivotal point. That was always something to raise up and say, well, who's who's our heroes? Who's our idols? Because I just named a bunch of blokes who, who for some reason, were able to turn around when we... And George Samaras, I would include him as well, who we played in Europe, that always seemed to have something that they pull out of their back pocket to get us out of trouble. And lately, I don't know if we have that. And I don't know if it's a rift in the dressing room or if it's... If Lenny has lost the plot or if the players aren't motivated as such. And I know the fans aren't going to the game and that's the hard part, but it's the same for everybody. And I, I can't get away from the last four or five seasons. And I'm, 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 I'm kind of disappointed in a lot of fans, to be honest with you, Andrew, because for some of them, it's the, the 10 in a row is more, more important than doing well in Europe. And, and to me, that's just narrow-minded. I, I can't believe that you don't want to do well in Europe or Europe is not the pot of gold. Because for me, it always has been. Okay. Possibly for selfish reasons, in the sense that I love the European trips and the away nights and, and Celtic Park. And I get if you don't win your league, you don't get to have dinner at the big table. I understand that. But still, you know, the way we went out, basically with a whimper against, what, AEK, Estrana, uh, Copenhagen, Fern, Fern Batches lately. I mean, these are clubs that were butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers years ago. And now they come to Celtic Park with no fear. They turn us over and. Two days later, it's it's kind of forgotten about by a lot of Celtic fans. It's okay, well, we're going to win ten in a row, and to me, that's you can't see the trees for the forest because of that. And we've got to, and you know, fans have been going on about that for ages. Like we want to win the ten in a row, and 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 they're almost on this mission, which I get. It is important. I'm not saying it's not, but it can't be as important as testing yourself in Europe against the top teams and playing against different styles and different techniques and going a way to test yourself in different lands against the top clubs in Europe. It's, it doesn't it, it doesn't compete to me against, obviously we have to play, you know, St. Mary and Hamilton Aggies and all that, but the European games and the European nights are, are what put our club on the forefront and that's what gets us money and that's what gets us revenue and that's what puts us in the spotlight, certainly over here and certainly overseas that, you know, no one's, let's be honest with you, no one's 
no one's paying money to watch Celtic and Hamilton. I know we have to play them each game, but you know, when we're in groups with Benfica, Barcelona, AC Milan, those are the games that people want to see because we watch sports because not because we think there's going to be an upset, but there might be an upset. And with Celtic playing, there was always a really good chance that we were going to box above our weight. And that was the great thing to follow Celtic for as well, was that we boxed above our weight in Europe for many, many years. And right now, what we have there have let the club down, if I'm being honest. Yeah, we've had some some brilliant nights. And you're right, we, we had players who'd done exceptionally well in Europe. Uh, I remember Darren O'Dea away, Kaka scored, scored an extra time under Strachan. You know, he, he rose that night. David Marshall against Barcelona. There's been, there's been you know, so many games to stand out. Under O'Neill, you know, we had players that were good enough to play with, with the top teams. Strachan probably done amazingly because his budget wouldn't have been the same as O'Neill's. But Johnny, yeah, we should be beating the teams you mentioned. But when we, if we did qualify for the Champions League, the gap now is much bigger than the gap was when Martin O'Neill was manager because we now have countries owning football teams. We now have the American factor in teams. You're never going to be able to compete uh, with the financial muscle of PSG or Man City. And they still haven't won the Champions League. So unless we get revenue outside where we get it from, when you watch the Champions League group now, there's a huge gap between the teams within them groups now. There's whipping boys in them groups. Whereas when we were playing in it, it was up for grabs. Every, every team was, was almost in with a show. But that seems to be gone now. And I suppose the rough set in. We were going away to Barcelona and we went to Paris and we got absolutely hammered, right? It, like they were great. It was great to get away. But to be getting hammered like that, it can't be good for anybody. So it's a kind of a balancing act now for Celtic. Like if, if we want to qualify for the Champions League, but we still don't want to be humiliated when we go to these stadiums and super clubs in Europe. But anyway, Johnny, look, we could talk all day about the goings-on in Europe and that, but there is a huge importance to the 10 in a row. It's never been done before. I heard on another podcast, I said it to Kieran Kenny when he was on as well. I think it was on Harry's podcast. No, he said if we if we were performing in Europe, the 10 would fall into place. And uh, I think, think he's quite right with that. You know, at the moment, we trail Rangers, nine points with a game in hand. It's It's... Still within, well within our court. We've plenty of time. We just need to start getting results together. Players are now on international break. We used to worry about them coming back with injuries. Now we worry about them coming back with COVID-19 or being in contact with someone with COVID-19. So these are all extra pressures, which weren't pressures on you when you were growing up back in Dublin, Johnny. Johnny, take us back to a young Johnny Vaughan growing up in Dublin, starting to follow Celtic and starting to play football and why your football career went. Thanks, fair enough, Drew. Uh, we'll go down memory line for a little bit. I, uh, I've been playing football, you know, obviously, I'm up from the, from the north side of Dublin, from Donamades. Uh I realised probably when I was, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, obviously I wasn't good enough to go across, across England. I uh, played on a few uh, Dublin teams, Leinster teams, played with Stella Maris. Went to a, a very good school in, in, in Dublin, St. Joseph's, Christian Brothers in Fairview, a decent Gaelic team and decent football team at the time. There was a, a fella around that time who was a scout for Nottingham Forest, bloke by the name of Noel McCabe. Um, he had some contacts in America and suggested to me when I was playing for Stella Maris that for those who fell short of going across to England, that maybe America would be a good chance, an opportunity Again, this is back. This was back in the late '80s. This was before 
all the social media and stuff like that. And I actually fancied America. I, I'd seen it like everybody else had on telly and says, that's for me. I, I want to go there quick, fast, in a hurry, you know? Um, so Noel McCabe actually was the bloke who, who, who discovered Roy Keane and, and, and sent him over to Nottingham Forest at the same time, at the same age. So we'd, we'd probably be around the same age. Except and you, and, and, and you'd be able to relate to that time. There wasn't an awful lot going on in Dublin or Ireland at that time for, you know, aspiring footballers or, or people who thought they could get third-level education. So I fancied it and came over. I landed in June of 90 on a, on a football scholarship to go to a local school here, Central Connecticut State University. And uh, I played there for four years, studied there. I got a college degree and... Um, I stayed around here and played for a team for the Connecticut Wolves then for a couple of seasons after that, maybe three, four seasons in a row. Um, had a spell down in Philadelphia and then decided to head home for six months in the late 90s. Um, and I'd been friends with uh, our national team manager, Stephen Kenny, at the time. He was played for Belvedere when I played for Stella Maris. I got back got in contact with him. My brother Trevor was playing in the League of Ireland for, for Drahada at the time, I think. Uh, I had a good few clubs in the League of Ireland and uh, I got in touch with Stephen Kenny. He said, come up for training. And I went up and he signed me. He signed me in the McDonald's drive through parking lot there in Donahmead uh, back in 98. So I stayed for half the season there until the Wolves season began. Um, I probably made five, six appearances for Longford. I, I came on in uh, the FAI Cup against Derry for Longford. Um, but I think I knew deep down that uh, I'd got a taste for America and Probably like a lot of immigrants, I just wanted to get that kind of bug out of my system about going home and thinking the grass is greener on the other side and maybe life will be better and I'll have another crack at it. And I soon realized it wasn't that much fun when you're waiting for the 79 in the morning, you're getting splashed on by the rain and you have no money in your skyrocket of a Friday night and the future doesn't look too good and you don't like the rain. So I said after five, six months, I packed it up back home and moved over here. So I've been back here since then. So... That's 20, 20 odd years ago. I've been back here since then and kind of got involved in, in the restaurant business since then. I just wanted to have a kind of crack at, uh, at America. I, I just felt when I came back that I still think America is the greatest country in the world. And I think if you come over here and you, you put your head down to, for a while and, 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 and kind of block other things out that don't allow you to do things, um, I think you can write your own story over here. I still think that American dream is there that, you, you know, there's a certain, without getting involved in politics, I'm sure we'll touch on that, but there's certainly a degree of, of capitalism over here that if you put your head down, start your own business, work hard with it, that you can reap the rewards after years and and have a better lifestyle, I suppose, than, than many people would at home. I think, you know, it's quite simple when you're at home, you, you, you have a different lifestyle and you're, you mightn't be able to do as many things as you can over here. And the lifestyle over here is very good, as you know, but... For a lot of people, it's, there's a seesaw and there's like a tipping point where, you know, I've seen blokes come over here for many, many years and still do. And for some of them, it's three, four years. Some of them, it's two years. Some of them, it's 10 years. Some of them, it never leaves the system of, of, of going back and, and having a crack at it. But there is a tipping point, I think, where you realize that the past is the past. You can look back at it and reflect on it, but you can't let, you know, your history hold you hostage. And for, di for, for different people, it comes at a different point in their life. I think for me, it came after seven, eight years when I finally got that out of my system. I said, you know what? It's not for me. I'm going to go back and I'm going to give it a, a real good crack at it this time. Johnny, you, you mentioned the late 80s and obviously we're of the same vintage 
I remember the unemployment situation in Ireland when you would have got that break of going on a scholarship to Connecticut University. I remember both, my, both two of my older brothers were in, were in England walking. I'd left school and the plan was to go over to, to London uh, because, you know, the lads were coming home and saying, oh, we're making this much money and we're making that. And I was in dead-end jobs, just making enough to get by. And I remember going home and saying to me, Dad, and my dad said, I had to go to London. Your brothers are in London. And he said, I'm not losing another son to London. He said, so he says, you stay here until one of them comes home. So I, I was lucky enough. I, I never had to um, emigrate, although I have to say, I did go over to London for my mate Basil was over there and I'd, the temptation was there and I, because we, it was more the social life I was interested in, Johnny, it wasn't the war. Uh, listen, uh, I agree with you, Drew. There's, uh, there's a lot of attractions. You know, uh, when I was being recruited to come over here, you know, I, I, I would have signed to me on blood. I mean, I mean, they'd spoof you, the car salesman sometimes, these people. He said, come over. You know, I'm going back to a time where he, he would send me videos, Betamax and VHS that you'd put in, you'd watch it at schools and you've seen the weather and you've seen the women and and, and he said, don't get your hair cut. We have our own barber for the team and stuff like this. I mean, all sorts of nonsense that they fill you up. But as as, as a young player, you're, you're very impressionable. And I think they kind of grasp that. And what was good for me is that when I came over here, there was three other Irish fellas at my college at the time. They're all doing very well. They're all still over here and they all have different paths. Um, I remain in contact with all of them. Um, they all took different paths. One of them stayed in football. Um, one of them is a, is a goalkeeper coach. You don't work for Google. Um, they've all done very well. But again, I remember being in college, the Irish English blokes. It seemed to me that the, the Irish blokes, for some reason, grasped that maybe it was possibly because America was friendlier to them than, they, than it was to the English or the Scottish or the... We just seem to have a kind of common bond where I found Americans very gracious and very understanding, very funny. Uh, very, I, I still find them very kind um, and just great work ethic about them that um, I know we laugh about it and we, you know, we tend to poke fun sometimes at it. But again, you know, it's sink or swim for a lot of blokes and it doesn't happen overnight. It's it's a long period of you marinating and figuring out what's better for you and. Some blokes never leave some blokes. I still meet them in bars and pubs and they talk about going home and across the pond and the motherland. That ship has sailed for me, thankfully. Um, I don't miss it in that sense too much. Uh, I have to be honest with you. You miss the family part when you do miss uh, the banter and the crack. And, you, you know, you miss milestones too, but uh, you can look back and, and, and you have to kind of move on ahead and forge a career for yourself and whatever you do. And for a lot of people back in those days, there was no option but to sail across the pond or, you know, years ago in the 50s and 60s, it was London and Kilburn and Cricklewood and places like that. And then I think after the 90s, Australia was big for a while for immigration for a lot of people. But the draw for the US was 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 great for me. And uh, I'd like to think it's, uh, it's turned out pretty well. Yeah, it seems to, Johnny, now you're in college, college finishes. I remember um, a lad that went to school with my brother Pierce Tommy was his name. And, you know, a wonderful footballer, Gaelic player, runner, you know, all-round sportsman. And I remember him going on a scholarship and it was a massive thing. It was in the local papers. It was, it was, a, it was massive. Like, you know, we were going, wow, he's going to America, you know. Because well, I have to say, when I was a kid, I never thought I'd see America. With the Kansas State, we grew up, you know, we'd go to America, you know. 
Listen, funny story, but if it's the same bloke, I think he went to Clemson University, um, which was in the ACC, which was a fantastic school. Um, and I remember hearing the name, and years later he stayed on there as a coach at Clemson University. And I was actually recruited by them shortly after I was recruited by Central Connecticut. They had this Dr. Abraham who was in charge with, they were called uh, the Clemson Tigers. They played at Death Valley fucking massive stadium, 80,000 people. He used to send us videos. I remember watching it at home. I'd be cacking myself, change my underpants, watching the American football and this death valley and it all come out and cheerleaders and the bells and whistles. And it was a magic school. It's in the, the, the best conference in America, the ACC, the strongest conference with North Carolina, uh, Clemson, Wake Forest, fantastic school down there. I got a phone call from uh, the coach down there to be recruited, and I turned it down at that time. I didn't even know. Actually, my father turned it down. He says, no, he's, he's already committed to Central Connecticut. They'd never been turned down for a scholarship before, and I didn't even know who they were, what they were about. And people say to me, Clemson? You could have been. But I had no idea, Andrew. I mean, there was no Google. There was no internet. There was no – I mean, it was like me selling you something, you know, selling American kids something in Ireland, and he didn't know the difference between the colleges. I didn't, and, and that was part ignorance, but it was also because the world was – was a lot bigger back then, and we had no access to it. Nowadays, I hear stories of kids who get recruited. They come over here and visit the schools the year before they sign on to see which school they like, and they do a tour for the weekend, and they get brought around the campus and get brought to facilities and get taken out for dinner and stay for a weekend with the players before they decide if they're going to sign for a four-year scholarship. That's how big business it is because a lot of these colleges over here now, you're looking at an average of 40, 50 grand a year to go to college. So you multiply that by four years, and that's what the scholarship is worth. You get a degree of it, and you, you, you play at a pretty high end, and over the years it's gotten bigger and, and, and better and brighter. And as you know these days, I mean, a lot of times the U.S. kids are just as good as the Europeans, which didn't happen years ago, which is why the coaches went overseas. But now the gap is smaller. Yeah, like you, you played, you finished college and you played for Connecticut Wolves, who, who you played five seasons with them. I'd never heard of them, right? So, like, when I was a kid, you know, there was the New York Cosmos, and, you know, you could, you, you'd heard about this indoor football in America where Pele played and all these greats played. But it was kind of like a retirement home for all these greats. And I suppose the new soccer, as they call it, stateside, the new league, well, you know, you had the Beckhams going over and the Robbie Keens and, and the Wayne Rooney's and that, you know. And that, that seemed as well, like, you know, this is a place for all these superstars to go, you know, and play out the days get get a lot of money but so so what was it like when when you were playing like because obviously it wasn't as big then no it wasn't and, and and for a lot of the u.s players who even played on the national team they you know i played in the a league with the connecticut wolves which was the league below the mls it was the mls then it was the a league and you know we played against some good teams against some good quality players and we played over the years i played against alexi lalas uh, i remember frank stableton came down to he was head coach of the revolution at the time they come down to watch us because we were their feeder team at the time. So if anybody was doing well with us, they would have been called up to the revolution. Staple came down. He came into the dressing room with a crack on with him. Uh, there was a bloke uh, doing very well himself over here, Paul Keegan, who was a dub, played for the revolution. We played against Alexi Lalas. Uh, we've got to places like Rochester where, where soccer or football up there was the only game in town. And they would often sell out 12,000 up in Rochester. We'd go to Long Island. We would go to. Uh, we went to North Carolina, played against uh, uh, Casey Keller, who was the goalkeeper down there at the time. 
uh, with a bloke who signed for us at the Connecticut Wolves at the end of my last season who landed in the States. Funny bloke, uh, great crack, uh, came over here to play for his last two years. Bloke by the name of Carlton Fairweather, uh, played at Wimbledon. Uh, tall, coloured bloke, was a winger, played for us uh, Connecticut Wolves at the end of his career. So, you know, there was blokes who were coming over at that time who you, who you started to remember. And I suppose when the MLS, which is in its 20, 20 25th season now, it's really taken off. And I think they have 28 teams now, um, was starting to get big. And, and the world has become smaller. And you've seen a lot of these stars come over now and play. Um, a lot of foreigners come over and play. But the, the level has gone a lot better over the years. And, and you know, you've seen in Europe with the likes of Pulitz, who's gone to Chelsea and has kind of covered himself in glory over there. Um, there's been a big swing and, you know, soccer over here has gotten bigger over the years and it's gotten stronger and they developed the league and they had, they have a funny way with the way they, they, the league is run. There's some superpowers in the league, but then there's a party where they have a salary cap where you don't see a Manchester City or, or an Arsenal or a club with loads of money buying whoever they want to because they have a salary cap that they got to fit within the confines of the MLS which kind of makes a, a level playing ground for some teams. So um, there is no relegation, though. That's the only thing, not in the MLS, um, which is something that they're working on. But, um, you know, most of the teams would average 15,000. But again, in America, it's the rivalry is not there. The intensity is not there. And, you know, and it, they sell entertainment more than they sell the rivalry where you go to the game and there's popcorn and cheerleaders and hot dogs and cold beers and T-shirts and, the fans sit together and hang out together. It's, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not like a Celtic away trip where you're penned in one area and they're, you know, pissing down on you and throwing oranges and apples at you. It's, uh, it's family entertainment. And, uh, you know, I suppose a little bit of it is, uh, is kind of funny. It's, uh, it's very innocent. Um, and I don't think they understand the culture that we were brought up where, where football was, was, that was who you were, the team that you followed kind of defined who you were, which was, you know, one of the reasons why I was drawn to Celtic was because of, you know, the immigration, the club helping out their community, uh, the cool numbers on the back of their shorts, uh, players born there that played for the club, the stadium, the roar, the atmosphere, a club that stood for something that was more than a club, that was a community. And I still think it's probably one of the finer points of Celtic is that it's still there. It's still evident. For some people, they don't they don't get it. They don't grasp it. They just view it as a club. But there's many more around who view it as the way of life. And for me, like I've just met so many kind of like minded people who follow the hoops that you can have a good good conversation with about everything that's going on in their life in the world. But inevitably, it all turns to Celtic and how we're going to win and when we're going to travel there and who should be playing, who shouldn't be playing. So. I still think that's evident within the club. I just feel that the board still don't match the fans' ambitions. And you could be right on that uh, because no one knows what's going on in the boardroom. But I just find the silence deafening from the boardroom. You know, I, I want the chief executive to come out and defend the club and something unjust has done against us. I want him to come out when the Ballangali thing happened. I wanted him and the club doctor to come out and defend the club. It's not fair on the manager. I have to defend everything. He is not making all the decisions at this club. He's making the football decisions with the players he has. And it just seems to be that, you know, push him out. I always remember when Brendan Rodgers went, 
Peter Lowell never released a statement. He only released one on the club website with Brendan and with the chairman. And that was it. And I just felt so let down because there were so many questions that were never answered and we've never had the opportunity to ask them. So that's, that's, that's my beef with the board is that it's just the silence, you know, and not having the right to reply sometimes. Yeah, and, and, and I think what happened, um, it, it, it's a little less raw now when, when, from the time when Bridge left. I mean, I, I, mean I, I, I don't even give it too much thought lately because, um, you know, you have, to, you have to move on and roll with the times of 40. Hugely disappointed. Uh, I don't care what anyone says about going to the Premier League and this and the other. I think most Celtic fans will agree that if he'd have went at the end of the season, we'd have probably put a fucking statue outside and said, thank you for the good times. Thank you for the three years. Thank you for staying. But when he left mid-season for a club that were going nowhere, let's be honest, they were going nowhere. They were, <clears throat> I think they were seven or eight at the time. They were going to go for mid-table obscurity. They weren't going for Europe. They weren't in a relegation battle. There was no need for him to jump ship at that time, at that particular time in February last year, to go to a club that was going nowhere. If we'd have waited till the end of the season, we could have shook hands and said thank you for the three years and give us time to pick somebody out and move on. Most fans will, will agree with that. And they say, you know, it gets easier as time goes on, the heel and this, that, and the other. Like, maybe someday we'll look back and say, you know what, he did bring us this, that, and the other. But for me, he jumps you. And it's not that I want to harbor that. I just want to focus on right now. And I feel, unfortunately, with Lenny, the camp is now split again. Lenny, Neil Lennon was a safe pair of hands for the board after Brendan Rodgers left. Right, Lenny picked up where... In the middle of the season, he was available. He knew what the club was worth, which you can go into another argument about. We always go back to somebody who knows what the club is worth, you know. And we've said that for years, whether it was the Liam Brady's or the Gordon Strachan's or the Martin O'Neill's or, or whatever. Like we always wanted somebody who knew. Perfect example was Tommy Burns, somebody who knew what the club was worth, right? We always wanted somebody who knew what the jersey was about, not the badge kissers or you know people like that, but somebody who actually knew the history of the club, what it was about, what it stood for and what it meant for players. When you look back on it, some of the managers that we've we've installed who didn't know anything about the club have been very successful with Dr. Joe and with Wim Jensen. Like, they wouldn't have known as much as Lenny or Liam Brady or John Barnes, et cetera, et cetera. But they brought us great times. They really did. At a time where we needed it, I mean, when Wim Jensen was brought in, I mean, there was mayhem. Mayhem at the club. And we're going back, what, 20 odd years to to stop the 10 in a row. I mean, it was mayhem. Did he know much about Celtic? I don't think he knew an awful lot about it. Not as much as a Lou McCary or a Kenny Daglish or a John Barnes. But sometimes when you run a business, you have to you have to appoint whoever is the best for that job. And we're, we don't always do that because we're blinded because we wear these green tinted glasses. And we say, you know what? He doesn't know what the club's worth. Sometimes you just have to make a business decision and put the person... Give the job to the man who's the best qualified, not the man who's played for Celtic or wore the jersey. It does mean a lot that you have wore the jersey to me. Honestly, it does. But sometimes you have to make a business decision. Lenny kind of fell in between the middle where Lenny knew what the job was worth. He knew what the board were worth to him. He knew what the fans were worth. He played for the club. He knew what the club was worth. He knew, having played for the club, what it meant to the players. And now we're split because I think we've come to a fork in the road. Personally, I'd give him more time. I, I think the board probably have decided that one way or the other, he'll stay on until the end of the season. And at this point in time, November 9th, I hope he does. Unfortunately, 
I think we've got a really hard road ahead of us because looking at the, the teddy bears lately, um, and I'm not one of these people who hates them or F this or F the Pope or God bless the Pope, anything like that. I just look at them from a point of view where I go, they're stronger in a lot of positions than we are right now. That might not be a popular decision or a popular assumption, but if I look at the number of players who could get into their team or vice versa, right now they hold the stronger hand. Not everybody agrees with me, you don't have to, but they probably have more players in the team than we would if you were to, if you were to combine the two together right now. And I haven't been able to say that for the last nine, ten years. I always felt we had an extra gear. And they always seem to implode after the break. But right now, it's a worrying time if you're a Celtic fan because this 10 in a row is slipping away. Might not be what people want to hear, but unless we get our act together, and I've said that knowing people look at you like, ah, that's not the thing. Scott Brown has been living on his laurels for a year and a half, two years. I know it's not a popular thing to say, but I would clean house. Cal Mack hasn't been great either. Uh, there's a lot of people who haven't pulled their way in the team. So before they point the finger at Lennon, the players have to be held accountable. And there's a lot of them out there who just aren't pulling their weight lately with an example of, you know, the last couple of weeks and, and the European season this year, uh, you know, aside from 45 minutes against Lille, it's been piss poor and it's unacceptable. And we shouldn't have even been this far because the fair and value, I mean, we've got two, three bites of the cherry and we have for the last four years, AEK and, and clubs like that beating us and the fans somewhat accepting it after a week or two, we go back to let's try and win 10 in a row. I still harp on about Europe is the promised land for us. It still should be the promised land for us. And right now we're falling short and I don't know if the board lack our ambition. Johnny, I, I, I disagree with you on, on Brown and I disagree with you on Carl Mack, but that's, that's a, an argument we'll have, a, a conversation we'll have for another day. Uh, I do disagree with you. I think um, I think we miss Brown when he's not playing, and we certainly would miss Callum if he if he wasn't playing. But then again, it's all a bit of opinions. Listen, you just before we we, we we jump on you, you finished. I'm going to take it to Philadelphia now, where you finished your football career playing indoor football with the Philadelphia Kicks. Now we were back in Philadelphia just before the world shutdown back in February, just before COVID nineteen. I suppose really. Became the first thing we talked about in the mornings, and we we had a great old time. We had a great old weekend, you know, great session over at the Plowboys uh, Failer. I was over doing Saturday AM, and it was just great to catch up with you over there. And I think you see, I think that's what we're missing now. Because if you remember, you know, you know, myself, yourself, Charlie, Rob, Brock, we're all sitting around different parts of America. All all love Celtic, and we're all sitting around and we're having conversations that you can't have on Twitter because Twitter's become the shouting match now, you know, because no one can go to the pub and sit around. I just think that is so healthy to sit around and argue over players and argue over managers and enjoy a beer. That's certainly a big part of my, you know, of my match day experience and me following Celtic. And that's something I really miss. Yeah, I, I agree, Millish. Um, again, I go back to one of the reasons why Celtic stay near and dear to me hard is that because of moments like that, because of times like that, because of the community of Celtic fans that are stretched all over the world, just been down there for that weekend. Like, you know, there wasn't anything really, really that important to go down for. It wasn't a Champions League match or we weren't being presented or anything. It was just a kind of band of, of, of comrades who went down there and 
Listen, I got to give a shout out to the Plow the Stars. They're throwing a great weekend, uh, great entertainment by yourself. Uh, Paulie Bourne, worth the price for admission. Um, some great interviews down there, some great music, uh, a great tour uh, of Philadelphia, a walking tour that we took in the afternoon. And a chance to meet blokes who have one thing in common, and that's that's the hoops. And again, the conversation we have, nobody agrees on everything at all times, but <clears throat> I think they had um, you know something like 15 or 16 different supporters clubs down there represented. When you added it all up, there was blokes from Jersey, blokes from the Bronx, uh, blokes from Washington, D.C., blokes that I don't remember the young bloke who came in from Indiana. He was a great crack as well. Luke, I'll give him a shout out. Um, Jerry came down. I mean, there were so many blokes who came from different parts of America who traveled hours. And he came over, fair play to you, from, from across the pond to be there for the weekend just to have a chin wag and have the crack and listen to the music and feel a comfort at ease, again, with a club that that doesn't happen for clubs throughout the world. It doesn't happen. I don't think it happens for any clubs outside of a very few, a handful, who can pull supporters from everywhere in different corners of the world when there's nothing going on to have 100 or 150 people there for that weekend, all having conversation on the crack about Celtic, where we're going wrong, where we're going right, all talking to each other, all trying to help each other, build each other up. And the one thing they have in common is the green and white hoops. So there's not many clubs out there that have that sort of pulling power. We still do. It's important that that gets carried on through the poetry, the music, the arts, the memorabilia, the stories. And it's just amazing that we still have it and it's still there. And that was, you know, a living art and body of what Celtic is to people still. And and it's amazing that it continues on and it's still so popular. So, yeah, great shout out to... The, the Plowboys, they're fantastic, great hospitality, and uh, yeah, some great sessions down there. Yeah, and hopefully hopefully we'll get back there when this is all over because it's it's certainly one of my favourites on the calendar because I just, it, it, again, it's like, it's getting to see the boys that, for me to see all them boys, I'd have to travel around America for a month, but for <laughs> the month to come in, Joe Coop comes in from LA, and you mentioned Brock there, and couple of boys that out in Boston and it was just you know for me it was just it was just great to see it you know all these people from different parts of the states and as well as that um for me it was great to hear their stories like it, they, that was the first time I met young Luke he's been in contact since you know and it was just like apart from even time with Celtic you know you get to hear a story you know it could be first generation second generation third generation you know and, and they tell you the story Oh, they may have no connection. They may, and, and then you find out why they follow Celtic. Big Rick wasn't there this year because of his health, but Rick, Rick's been there in previous years from Detroit. And you can hear Rick's story about why he follows Celtic and all these people. And it just gets you, um, you realize how much it means to, you know, the lads in America who get up at all times, and, you know, in the morning. And if they could, they'd be in Celtic Park for all these games. It's important because, you know, you, you get so many people down there who are somewhat like minded. They, um, you know, you crack on with these people and uh, some of them you don't know and you leave as best friends and you go, jeez, that was fucking great. I'd love to meet up with them again. That was good out crack. They like the music. They, You know, they, they have this sort of uh, uh, a social conscience about the world as well. You know, we'd be kind of like-minded in the sense of where Celtic starts, where Celtic stand amongst politics um, and, and where they stand on their view on the world and, and their view on the democracy and, and how times are changing. But, how the community is so important that people get back to it and they help each other. And, 
you know, you make these connections that you, I, I don't know if you do whatever you're a club in the world. I'm going to say you don't. You know, people will probably find me in that, but I just feel it's selling. It's something different. It is this huge family that puts its arm around you and says you're part of the hoops, um, you know, till death do us part. And that's it. That's 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 the marriage. And unfortunately, the, the, the bad times are pretty fucking bad when we lose in Europe and no one wants to talk about it. And you, you, you feel people's pain when it happens because they wear the jersey, they make every tackle, they take the throw in, they... You just feel that they're going in for with, with blood and thunder wherever they are in the world, and it's it's a common thread that you know when I'm watching, I say to myself, "Geez, I wonder." He, everybody I know who's beyond social media will be saying the same things and their different things, and this conversation sparks. And again, everybody agrees on it, but they all agree that something's the club for them, and that's the massive thing about it is that they are very like-minded and they do have this sort of emotional intelligence about following Celtic and and what it means to them, and what it means to their community, and how proud they are. Maybe their second or third generation has been passed down, but it's uh, it's something that we should hold on to and cherish because without it, you have nothing. If you have nothing in your soul, well, then, you know, you're on the way out. So, I mean, you still have Celtic every weekend or every midweek game, and that's why I just feel that these events are, are hugely important, the Philly one as well, that everybody gets back together and they start that art of conversation and we have the crack, we have the banter, we have the chit-chats, we have the songs, we have the music, we have the tales, and, and it's all based around this one common thread, which is which is Celtic. It was great to chat to Johnny again and get his perspective on life and Celtic from over the pond, as he says, stateside. Part two of the interview will be on Friday's show, when we will hear about his take on the recent election in the States, music, football, and we'll continue with his Celtic story. Thank you so much to everyone who bought the new issue of the fanzine, More Than 90 Minutes, issue 111. We've about 50 copies of the print left, so if you want to get a copy, go on to CelticFanzine.com. If you get your order in before noon, we'll post it out on the same day. And don't forget, you can also download the digital edition straight into your inbox. We'll kick off Walk on 112 now, next week, so we'll have it out for December. Don't forget, you can subscribe. Anyone subscribing now will get a free T-shirt or a badge. So, once again, thanks for your continued support, and there wouldn't be an old bad Christmas present and old subscription. Wouldn't it be better than a pair of socks? No, but on a serious note, folks, with no match day sales, your support means we can continue with the print edition. And the new t-shirts and hoodies were all posted out. No doubt one or two years will be getting them for Christmas too. So, uh, you know yourself, our merchandise makes great Christmas presents and stocking fillers, so keep an eye out for another new design before Christmas. As always, thanks to me good buddy Ronan McQuillan for producing the show and giving out to me and telling me I keep saying stuff that I shouldn't be saying. You can't see him now, but he's modelling the new Philo t-shirt. He looks lovely in it too. He loves in that compliment as our Ronan, you know. <laughs> Folks, as always, if you like what we're doing and you'd like to support us, you can visit CelticFanzian.com where you can become a member, you can subscribe, you can buy or you can donate for the price of a pint. We promise no unwanted Google adverts on our website or articles and no unwanted advert interruptions on our podcast. Keeping it real, keeping it independent. Your support helps us to continue to produce quality independent fan journalism, podcasts, video content, free live events and of course the fanzine. Don't worry if you're not in a position to financially support us at this time. We'll still deliver the same quality content to all fans free of charge. Don't forget to download the app, it's free and you'll have access to all the podcasts, articles, daily news, video, info on upcoming events and of course, as I said, the fanzine and our online shop, all the touch of a button on your phone or tablet. All episodes of the podcast are now available on all platforms, so don't forget to hit that subscribe or follow button 
so you never miss an episode. And if you're on our Instagram, you can just click in straight in our story and it'll take it onto Spotify and all the episodes. Thanks very much to Aaron Boyle for sorting out our Instagram account. And once again, thanks again to our episode sponsor, Boyne Valley Dry Lining. Kevin Coleman has also put up a prize for listeners today, but I think we will run a little draw on social media for the prizes to raise money towards the St. Margaret Celtic Supporters Club fundraiser for the homeless of the Drada area. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like what we're doing with the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, contact us at info.celticfanzine.com or you can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. Keep all your comments coming in and here's a few from last week's podcast. Great listen. Heard Hilly tell the story of founding the St. Margaret Celtic Supporters Club at one of your evenings in Drada. He spoke just as well that night. Being on many a mad boat and bus trip home from games myself, what we'd give to do it all again. Ryan Tinney, Belfast. That was some listen. What a guy Hilly is. I always love to bump into him in Dublin Airport on the way to Glasgow. He loves a rant. Ken Walsh, Dublin. Brilliant interview, lads. Laughed and cried. Emotional roller coaster. Brought back some great memories. Niall Lynch, Monaghan, but now living in Dublin. Loved it. Very emotional. Talking about Margaret. Loved the Latvia story. The taxi story. Oh my God. Deadly. Sandra Millen, my long-suffering wife. Brilliant lads. Loving the previous pods, but this one brought back so many memories. Mad bus. Missing the ferry. Because we had too many points on the way back. And ended up on the ferry with the Huns. Backseat of the bus. Hilly's Rebel Tapes. Jerry Morgan handing round a bottle of vodka on the way down to the border. The cracking Hilly's after O'Neill's. Waiting on the bus at 4am. The weekend trips. The barras. And of course, walking into the stadium before kickoff. Great times with great lads. Mark Taft. The original Dulik Rocket. What a great podcast, mate, with Hilly. Just did a second run of it. Bringing back so many memories of my brother Pat on the road seeing Celtic in Ireland. And all the friends I've met, including yourself. Over the last three decades. Hail hell bud. Love to you all. Charlie Glavin Cork. Great story about the reunion with the Laffians. Jerry Brady. Nave Parrick legend. The podcast was great today big man. Very moving indeed. Paul Malloy. The Glasgow Ace face. Well thanks very much for all the comments. It means a lot. And I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. Because we are certainly enjoying putting them out. And it's keeping us busy during the lockdown. Folks we're back on Friday with episode 41. When we'll have the second part of our chat with Johnny Vaughan as he continues to open up his Celtic soul to us. So enjoy the rest of the week, folks. We know we're still in frustrating times, but try to stay positive. Hopefully the news on the vaccine will prove fruitful, and we can look forward to returning to some kind of normal life and getting back to watching the football, which I know you all love to do. Folks, we want to lend our support to musicians and songwriters out there who we know have been hit the hardest by the lockdown restrictions, no gigs, no venues to play in. So send in your material, and each week, we will introduce you and play out of the show with one of your tunes. Stay tuned, stay safe and keep the faith. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.